Hey true crime besties, welcome back to an all new episode of Serialistly. Hey everybody, welcome back to an all new episode of Serialistly with me, Annie. Woo, I hope you all had a great weekend, but we have got a deep dive of a case to talk about today. It's a big one. My camera went out on my Serialistly set, so that is why I am recording over here in my 10 to Life set, my other YouTube, my YouTube true crime set. So it'll be up and running again by next week, so I'll be back in my normal set. But anyways, before we jump into today's case, do a, take a quick second, do all of the things, rate, review, all the stuff on the podcast, and we are going to jump right into today's case. Many people experience difficult relationships, especially in their 20s. It's very common to know at least one couple with an on-again, off-again dynamic or even have experienced a relationship loop at some point yourself. It can kind of be like a rite of passage, something you look back on and cringe wondering why you both held on to something that was obviously not meant to be. But every so often, we hear about a relationship in that same cycle that ends up going far beyond what anyone ever expected. And that's the same for the case that we will be talking about today. Kelly 911. Ma'am, I have. I I killed my boyfriend in self-defense. Okay, where are you? I don't at all. They're evil and deserve to burn in hell if they don't change. We've got a picture of Hubers with a gun and a haunting message. When I go to the shooting range with Ryan tonight, I want to turn around, shoot and kill him and play like it's an accident. Thousands of text messages she sent during this relationship. Shana Hubers admits that she shot and killed her boyfriend in 2012. I did. Yeah, I did. Twenty-nine-year-old Ryan Poston was born on December 30, 1982, in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. He was born to his mother, Lisa Carter, and his father, Jay Poston. Ryan's parents separated when he was very young, and his mother went on to marry a man named Peter Carter. Even though his parents didn't stay together, both Lisa and her new husband, Peter, went above and beyond alongside Jay to practice intentional co-parenting between the two families. Both Jay and Peter were committed to collaborating together in efforts of raising Ryan to be an emotionally aware and driven young man. Although Peter took on a father figure role in Ryan's life, he did not try to take over as Ryan's dad and made sure that Jay was still included in all parental decisions, even when Ryan was living with him and Lisa. To both of their credit, these men absolutely prioritized Ryan's needs and feelings as he was growing up, and it clearly showed. In fact, when Ryan got older, he legally changed his middle name from Christopher to Carter and presented Peter with the official document as a birthday gift to show his love and appreciation for his stepdad. Ryan was also a doting older brother to three younger half-sisters, Allison, Catherine, and Elizabeth Carter, who lovingly called Ryan's biological father Uncle Jay. 
and both families celebrated holidays together and birthdays together. While I would venture to say that's sadly not necessarily the normal, this was their normal. Ryan could have grown up in a divided and tumultuous environment with the split, but instead he grew up with double the guidance of two fathers and triple the love from three devoted parents, which was already rare, but a very lucky hand for him. Ryan attended Blessed Sacrament School in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, and then later the International School Manila in the Philippines and the International School of Geneva in Switzerland, all during his high school years. That kind of travel and cultural immersion is an experience of a lifetime for a young person. I know adults who've never even had the chance to visit multiple continents, let alone to go to school there, live abroad there. He was extremely lucky in that sense. Ryan was raised with the tools to thrive by parents who cared deeply about him and because they had the means to, so they wanted him to experience as much as he possibly could. As you might have guessed, Ryan's pedigree does not end there either. As an undergraduate, Ryan triple majored, completing degrees in history, geography, and political science, all at Indiana University in 2005, which is just mind-blowing when you really think about that dedication that it takes to triple major in something. All of the traveling during Ryan's younger years was admittedly sometimes difficult, though, for his biological dad, Jay being that Ryan was his only child. But Ryan came back to his roots eventually and followed in the Poston family footsteps of his late grandfather, attorney James Poston Sr. Ryan went on to study law and completed his jury's doctor degree at Salmon Chase College of Law at Northern Kentucky University in 2008. In 2011, he passed the bar in Ohio. Ryan's plan was to dedicate his life to helping people get justice. So not only was Ryan incredibly smart and driven, but he was also aware of his privilege and the advantages that he had along the way that allowed him to reach his goals. So as a lawyer, Ryan planned to provide legal representation for personal injury, defending clients facing criminal charges, and offer legal services related to family law. Practicing law was Ryan's way of actively serving his community and serving people who were less fortunate than him. There were even times where Ryan represented people who couldn't afford his services. He was just so committed to helping people seek justice and not letting their financial situation be the defining factor of the type of representation that they received in the courtroom. By the time he was 28 years old, he was working incredibly hard to establish a law practice in Cincinnati. According to Ryan's former mentor, who was also an attorney that Ryan clerked with before passing the bar, Ryan was going from 0 to 100, probably faster and better than any other young lawyer could have or could have even imagined. He was that good at what he was going to be doing. Ryan and everyone around him was so excited about his future. But as serious as Ryan took work, he also was just a man in his late 20s who was trying to figure out what his future would look like aside from the professional side of his life. Ryan was a six foot three, successful, smart, and handsome man. He seemed like what most people would refer to as a catch. He had recently broken up with a girl by the name of Lauren Worley. The two of them had been in a serious relationship for about a year and a half. They lived together, had two dogs named Lily and Max, and had fallen in love very quickly. But they were still young, and with Lauren still in law school to also become a lawyer, it just wasn't the right time to continue dating. When they broke up, it seemed like they both maybe thought that they'd end up back together down the line. 
But in the interim, they were both kind of just doing what many would consider rebounding and just kind of dating around fairly quickly after the breakup, trying to move on. So March 2011 came around and Ryan was still dealing with the after effects of the breakup with Lauren, but he seemed to be ready to date. While on Facebook one day, he came across a Facebook post from a beautiful woman named Shayna Hubers. There were pictures of her in a bikini on a spring break trip, and Ryan liked what he saw, so he liked the post, gave it that little thumbs up. Now, I also want to just give a reminder that the spring of 2011 was still the very early days of Facebook. The social media platform hadn't been around for even a decade at that point, so no one would find it strange for young people to use Facebook as it was originally intended, like a stand-in dating application almost, and to meet new friends and share personal photos. This was also before Instagram really took off. Most young people who were online shared their photos with each other via Facebook, including Shayna. The reason Ryan came across Shayna's pictures and profile itself was because Shayna was friends with one of Ryan's step-cousins, Carissa Carlisle. Now, 32-year-old Shayna was born on April 8, 1991 in Lexington, Kentucky. She spent the first 19 years of her life devoted to school. Shayna had a very promising future. She was basically a near genius, taking AP classes and getting A's with ease. Shayna lived with her mom, Sharon Hubers, and her stepdad. Shayna's parents were split up, and while she excelled at academics, the difficulties that she experienced surrounding her parents' breakup and other potential traumatic events seemed to fly under the radar a bit. As far as we know, Shayna did not get any therapeutic counseling when she may have needed it, nor did her mom or her stepdad seem to know that she might be struggling emotionally. But those who knew Shayna in high school years recall her being extremely dramatic, and if she was ever broken up with or things didn't go her way, it was a big dramatic production. Despite that, we know that Shayna was extremely successful academically, and she seemed to continue to blossom after high school, at least on paper. She attended college on a full vocal music performance scholarship and then graduated cum laude from the University of Kentucky in only three years. Shayna got a head start in pursuing her master's degree in school counseling. She was a talented singer and her future looked bright. So at the time Ryan liked her photo, Shayna was a graduate psychology student at the University of Kentucky in Lexington. After Shayna saw that a handsome stranger named Ryan liked her photo, she was thrilled when he followed that up with a friend request. Shayna accepted Ryan's friend request immediately, and then she messaged him asking, How do I know you? You're gorgeous, by the way. And Ryan replied, You're not too bad yourself. The flirtatious messages between Shayna, who was between 19 years old, almost 20 at the time, and Ryan, then 28 years old, kept going until they were finally able to meet in person at some point in April of that year. Not long after their first meetup, the two of them started dating. From the time they first met in person in April 2011 through November that year, the pair only saw each other occasionally since they lived nearly 80 miles apart, but they texted frequently, although Shayna always sent substantially more text messages to Ryan than he sent to her, which is kind of a typical guy thing. Girls are usually the primary texter, so nothing crazy in that. But after November, things took a turn and they were clearly not on the same page. The couple proceeded to go through many breakups, which often lasted for short periods of time before they would get back together. Ryan's friend Tom Awadala explained that from his point of view, Ryan wasn't able to completely break up with Shayna because Ryan was too nice and didn't want to hurt her feelings. 
Ryan had expressed that he felt duty-bound to let her down easy. By April of 2012, Ryan and Shayna were in the midst of what was at least their third breakup, and that's when Ryan's worries about Shayna's disturbing behavior skyrocketed. Ryan complained to friends that Shayna sent 75 text messages to him in the last hour. In Ryan and Shayna's text history, for every one message that Ryan sent, Shayna sent dozens in response. Sometimes, Shayna would send 50 to 100 messages in one day. She also started to show up at his Highland Heights condo, unannounced, using a key that she had kept even after they broke up. Just plain obsessive and creepy and kind of Jody Arias vibes, if we're going to be quite honest. Shayna's approach was always unpredictable, and sometimes she'd arrive all dressed up as if nothing was wrong and they were going out on a date, and other times she would arrive in a fury or depressive state. At one point in April, Shayna confronted Ryan in a rage, claiming that he had said degrading things about her to other people. According to Shayna, they had an altercation and she described Ryan picking her up and throwing her on the doorsteps of his condo. But Ryan told his friends something quite different, that he tried and failed to cut things off because Shayna couldn't let go. Now remember, Ryan was just branching out on his own as a lawyer at this point in his life. And on top of that, he was also dealing with a lawsuit of his own between him and his former business partner after leaving the firm to go and start his own. It was clearly a very hushed lawsuit because I haven't been able to really find any of the details. But dealing with that on top of constant bombardment from someone who you are trying to end things romantically with would really disrupt anyone's concentration, let alone someone practicing law. The potential repercussions for his budding law firm and his life's work were becoming more and more apparent. While it's impossible to know all of the ways that he tried or didn't try breaking up with her when they were together in person, Ryan seemed to be pretty clear in his Facebook message and text messages. In one instance, Ryan told Shayna over text messaging that she needed more validation and affection from men than he was possibly able to give, but she refused to accept his attempt at being honest with her. While that sort of thing might be hard for anyone to hear, it is a clear statement and definitive sign that it's time to move on, like yesterday. As Shayna's apparent obsession only grew, Ryan didn't try to keep his growing frustration and concern to himself. In a text to his cousin Carissa, who knew Shayna as well, Ryan wrote, This is getting to be restraining order level crazy. She's shown up at my condo like three times and refuses to leave each time. Carissa even tried to talk to Shayna about her behavior, but got nowhere. Ryan also revealed his concern about Shayna's behavior in a Facebook message to another friend, Allie Wagner. In his words, Shayna was described as literally probably the craziest effing person I have ever met. And then he went on to say, she almost scares me. Now I'm sure by now you're probably wondering why he didn't get a restraining order, especially being that he was an attorney and worked closely with the courts. One could easily assume that it may have been easier for him to acquire one because of that. But actually, when I looked into it even more, he couldn't have been granted one. Kentucky laws are kind of backwards, and because they never lived together or didn't share a child together, he wouldn't have qualified for one. There's a couple other potential qualifications, but those two possible ones align more with Ryan's situation. Which is honestly so angering to think about how many people could possibly be needing one, but they can't get one because of the laws. 
So things were going back and forth. Ryan was clearly expressing his anger, his nervousness, his concern. But in July of 2012, for whatever reason, they seemed to reconcile yet again. But Shayna claimed that when they resumed seeing each other this time, Ryan only agreed to giving her another shot if she followed along with some so-called conditions, like speaking less, engage in a hobby or activity while at his condo, and to participate in sexual acts with him and other women. Shayna also recalled that Ryan degraded her when they were in public together, often commenting on her eating habits. Which yes, those experiences sound awful, but this is just according to Shayna. And there is evidence that shows that Shayna was indeed mentally capable of understanding where Ryan was coming from and why he kept going back to her. In a text to a friend, Shayna wrote, He says he's only with me because I make him feel so awful about it when I cry. So clearly, Shayna did grasp the sentiments Ryan expressed to his friends and family. She knew that he wasn't with her because he wanted to be. It was obvious to everyone. In other text messages to her friend Christy O'Lear, Shayna admitted that her relationship with Ryan was unhealthy, that Ryan caught her going through his phone, and that Shayna was secretly dating another guy named Patrick at the same time, listing Patrick as Patricia in her phone. Which, let me just say, that's not very original there, but I get what you're trying to do. Shayna told her friend that she loved Patrick and was thinking about leaving Ryan. So why Ryan was being put through the ringer again and again and again is beyond me. If Shayna understood the depths of their dysfunction, why did she refuse to take Ryan at his word? And if she loved this Patrick guy so much, why not leave Ryan and go with Patrick? In my opinion, it almost seems like in some weird way, Shayna thrived in and enjoyed the dysfunction. And she wanted to be in control of how the relationship would end. That's my opinion, at least. Hey guys, we are going to take a quick break in today's case and I'm going to tell you a little bit about one of today's sponsors. I recently changed my makeup routine and have been getting a lot of compliments on it. And while I'd like to take the credit and think that I'm talented, the truth is I got some great tips from Bobby Brown herself, all thanks to Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace with new classes added every month. Annual memberships start at $10 a month and you get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content, insights, and much more. There are over 180 classes to pick from, everything from cooking to interior design to makeup and writing skills. Now, some exciting instructors include Gordon Ramsay, Diane von Furstenberg, Mariah Carey, and many more. So Bobby Brown's class taught me different techniques with makeup and how to like accentuate particular areas of my face. And I learned things about contouring that I literally had no idea were even a thing. It was so helpful. Find practical takeaways that you can apply to your life and at work. Whether you want to become a better chef, advance your career, land a book deal, or anything else, Masterclass has you covered. Gain new skills in as little as 10 minutes, either on your phone, your computer, tablet, smart TV, and even audio mode to listen on the go which personally I love to listen to the lessons anytime I'm in my car and on the road. 
Now, how much would it cost to take one-on-one -on -one classes from the world's best? Well, with Masterclass Annual Membership, it would only cost you $10 a month. Get unlimited access to every class, and right now, as a Serialistly listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash AE. That's masterclass.com slash AE for 15% off annual memberships. Masterclass.com slash AE. So the recollection in July did not last long because they were on the rocks again by the end of August. The day he tried to end things, Ryan texted Shayna, I'm turning off the phone and padlocking the door. After that, Shayna sent Ryan at least 100 messages over the next nine hours until Ryan finally replied, I'm not reading any of these, stop. Now this seems like it was some very obsessive high school type relationship, but even worse. Shayna still had a key to Ryan's condo, and somehow, someway, she was back in his life by the time fall came around. Shayna's mother Sharon wondered if he was just trying to let her down easy, because she remembers they spent time at her house and that Shayna slept over at his place. But Shayna was not as open with her mother as Ryan was with his two dads and close friends. Sharon did not seem to be aware of Ryan's repeated attempts to stop seeing Shayna, nor did she recognize Ryan was preparing to jump ship yet again. Instead of confiding in her mom about her issues with Ryan, Shayna documented the twisting, turning, downward spiral of their relationship to her friends, mostly over text messages. At some point in the fall of 2012, Shayna's friend Christy noticed that her obsession shifted focus. Shayna went from concentrating on finding any possible way to be with Ryan for the long haul to a much more bitter and vindictive tone. In a text to her friend Christy, Shayna wrote, My love has turned to hate. A very disturbing remark that in early October 2012 escalated to a different level of scary while Ryan and Shayna were together at a gun range. While there, Shayna texted her friend saying, when I go to the shooting range with Ryan tonight, I want to turn around, shoot and kill him, and play like it's an accident. Now let me just say, if one of my friends sent that to me, I'd honestly probably call their significant other right away, if not the police, and better yet, I'd also call the shooting ranges that they were at and give them the information so they could make sure that she left immediately and was not in any possession of any weapons. Then I'd have the conversation with their significant other. I mean... It's a little bit unbelievable, but I do understand and I'm trying to understand that receiving this, maybe you think that your friend is just joking, maybe just has a very dark sense of humor and sarcasm. I don't know. But had he been warned, it seems like Ryan would have taken that completely seriously, given his repeated attempts to leave the relationship and that he had already told Carissa that he thought that she was restraining order level crazy and that he was almost scared of her. A few days later, on October 11th, Ryan went over to his parents' house for dinner and to watch the presidential debates. Shayna was with him that night, but Ryan got some time to talk alone with his stepdad, Peter. He was planning on breaking up with Shayna this time for good, so he asked for advice on how to get Shayna to understand that he was very serious about parting ways, while also being sensitive to her feelings. Ryan apparently just didn't know what to do to get her to leave. Nothing he had tried to do so far seemed to get through to Shayna. But Ryan told his stepfather that this breakup had to be final. He even had a date set up with someone new the next evening. 
And Ryan was happier that night than he had been in months. He had this idea that things were finally going to end with Shayna. He'd go on a date with this new beautiful woman, and then who knows what would happen from there. And I'm sure the idea of Shayna being out of his life for good was very exciting and relieving. He just needed to get through that one tough conversation. When he left that night, he gave both Lisa and Peter a kiss on the cheek and gave them both a hug. And later that night, Ryan and Shayna had that conversation at Ryan's condo. Obviously, Shayna was incredibly emotional, or at least playing her emotions up. She even called her mom at 3 a.m. hyperventilating and incredibly upset. Sharon was obviously very worried about her daughter and was actually concerned that she was having a heart attack. So doing what most moms would do when they get such a frantic, middle-of-the-night phone call from their child, Sharon hopped in her car and drove two and a half hours to Ryan's condo to get Shayna. The following day on October 12th, Ryan headed into work, happy and upbeat. This was an exciting day for him. He spoke with one of his receptionists and told her that he had a date with someone new that evening. Because Ryan confided to the receptionist several times about his painful back and forth with Shayna, she asked him if he had finally ended things. And Ryan told her yes, they had broken up, and that he had even planned it to tell Shayna that he had a date with somebody new if he needed to. His date that evening was with Audrey Bolt, a gorgeous girl who was crowned Miss Ohio in 2012. The plans were to meet up at a local low-key place, grab a drink, and maybe shoot some pool. Ryan asked Audrey what he should wear, wondering if he should stay in his suit directly from work. But Audrey said he could dress comfortable, casually, so Ryan planned to make a pit stop at his home to change clothes. The receptionist wasn't the only person who noticed that Ryan was in a really happy mood and had a chippy demeanor that Friday. Because you see, prior to passing the bar in 2011, Ryan had clerked for a law firm in the same building, and he was still close with his mentors there, attorney Kenneth Hawley and associate Lori Zimmerman, who were also working across the hall that same Friday. Ryan often worked late into the evening, but when Kenneth and Lori were leaving the office around 5.40 p.m., they exchanged goodbyes with Ryan who happily told them he would not be clocking out after dark per usual that night that he was heading out on a date. So Ryan told them that he had plans after work and he wished them both a good weekend. Audrey messaged Ryan that she was going to be a little bit late to their date due to a family funeral that had run overtime. Their original meeting time got pushed back by an hour and a half, and Ryan planned to hang in his condo until Audrey was ready. Meanwhile, Shayna was planning a trip to Ryan's condo as well. But before she could head over to Highland Heights, she had one pressing question that she needed answered. So she decided to Google it. Shayna began Google searching how to unlock a door with a bobby pin. Whether by bobby pin or extra key or an open door, Shayna made her way into Ryan's condo that evening. And in a strange and horrific twist, Shayna chose to make her split with Ryan permanent that evening. As Ryan prepared to leave for his date with Audrey, he had no idea that everything he worked for over the course of his entire life, his love and devotion for his two families, his little sisters, his dog Oliver, his friends, his hard-fought dreams of dedicating his life to the practice of law and justice, would all come crashing down that night. Audrey waited and waited for Ryan to show up to their date, but he never showed. Then, 15 minutes later, the frantic 911 call happened. Kimmel County 911. Ma'am, I have a 
have, I have an, um, um, oh, I, I killed my boyfriend in self-defense. Okay, where are you at? I'm at 12 Meadow Lane, Highland Heights, Kentucky, 41076. Okay, 12 Meadow Lane, are you in a house or an apartment there? It's an apartment, it's apartment suite 10. Hold on, what did you kill him with? A gun, a loaded gun in the house. Tell me where the gun is right now. The gun is in the house. Where at though, ma'am? Tell me where it's at. <laughs> I, I laid it on the bookshelf. Where at? Laying on the shelf? On the bookshelf. It's, it's where are you? I'm standing about 10 feet from his dead body. <laughs> okay, are you sure that he is dead? He's dead, ma'am. He's completely dead. Okay. And how long ago did you shoot him? I don't know, 15, 10 minutes, not even that long. 10 or 15 minutes ago? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a murderer, man. I just killed him. So what, what, what happened exactly? What happened? He beat me and tried to carry me out of the house, and I came back in to get my things, and he was right in front of me, and he raced down and grabbed the gun, and I grabbed it out of his hand and pulled the trigger. Okay. All right. Do you need an ambulance? Have you been injured? I'm not injured, ma'am. I was thrown into the side of the couch. Okay. And how old is he? He's 29. He'll be 30 on this. He would have been 30 on December the 30th. All right. What's his name? Ryan Carter Poston. He's an attorney in Cincinnati. Okay. Have you had a history of domestic violence with him? Yeah. Okay. And is this your gun? No, this is his gun. He keeps loaded guns in the house. So he, he slammed you into the couch, but you don't have any injuries? I don't have any injuries. I was just very frightened. He's, he picked, he's a lot bigger than me. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. I'm 5'8", 120. And he, and he picked me up and, and was carrying me out of the house. And I said, let me get my things at least if we're going to break up. And, and he wouldn't let me get my things. And when I reached around to try to get my things, he, I can hear myself echoing in the background, ma'am. It, it's just this phone system. This phone system has got a delay. And he, he pushed me down from, from the door all the way to the couch. And when they come here, they'll see how far that is. He threw me across the room. And, and I was very startled. I was laying on the floor. Okay. Again. And not to make sure he was dead because he was twitching so bad and I caught on to him there and 
calling 911. Do what? <laughs> yeah, I did because I knew it was going to die anyway. Okay. It was pretty bad. <laughs> The 911 call is literally chilling. The fact that she said, I'm not a murderer, and then went on to say that because he was twitching and she knew he was going to die anyways, she shot him. I don't know, Shayna. That seems like murderous behavior to me. And the waiting 15 minutes to call 911 even further shows that point. And actually, before Shayna called 911, she had initially called her mom, Sharon, in what Sharon described as hysterical, terrified, and in shock. And Sharon obviously instructed Shayna to call 911 to tell them exactly where she was and exactly what had happened. Now, this detail doesn't ring so much Jodi Arias, but it rings Courtney Clenny, the OnlyFans model accused of murdering her boyfriend and calling her mom as well before 911, which I have done a huge deep dive on that case on my channel. So if you want to get caught up in that case, I, there's a playlist on it and I will link it in the description. So I don't know exactly how long that call with Sharon was, but I do think it's highly unlikely that the two of them were on the phone for 15 whole minutes. Lieutenant David Fornash of Highland Heights Police Department was about a mile away from Ryan's condo when he got the call about the shooting. He was made aware that the person responsible, the victim's self-described girlfriend, was still at the scene communicating with emergency dispatch. The officer prepared to enter a potentially grisly scene while knowing that someone inside was still in possession of a firearm. As the police made their way up the stairs, Lieutenant Fornash drew his service weapon, preparing for Shayna to emerge. But when they found her, her hands were empty, so another officer handcuffed her, and the lieutenant entered the condo to secure the crime scene. I'm a habitual thief, and I always steal my husband's razor to shave my legs because there is something just, like, inherently better about men's razors, but he is not a fan, so I'm always hunting for razors that don't dull, don't get all goopy and sloppy, and get my legs super smooth. In enters Athena Club to the chat. Unlike my old razor that left my legs dry and got dull really quickly, the sharp blades on Athena Club's razors are really gentle on my skin, leaving me feel moisturized and super smooth. Plus, the water-activated serum on their razors has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, which is like the holy grail for skincare. And there's just enough of it to soothe while you're shaving, but never get like goopy, sloppy, and gross like other razors. The best part is the razor kit is only $10 and comes with two blade heads, a magnetic hook for shower storage, and your choice of handle color. The handle color options are so, so cute, but they even have black and white razors for any minimalists out there. But me, I got pink, which makes me feel just like super femme and dainty. And with Athena Club, you never have to think about blade refills because you choose how often you want your replacement blades shipped to you. And now you can also find them in Target stores nationwide. So it's so easy to swing by one of the many, many Target stores whenever you need more blades. Switch to the better razor and show your skin you care with Athena Club. Get started today by shopping in-store at Target stores nationwide. Just head to the shaving aisle to find the razor kit, cloud shave foam, wax strips, and razor refills. When he entered the apartment, the scene was both gruesome and strange. He saw Ryan's body slumped on the floor, motionless, after being shot six times. But he still needed to check the other rooms to ensure no one else was present. What he saw as he moved around the space was that the condo itself was a bit messy, but clearly a bachelor pad belonging to a working professional. 
there was a bloodbath centered around the dining room table. But much of the evidence that might later be associated with the event that evening actually seemed eerily organized, indicating that a struggle between Shayna and Ryan might be unlikely. There were multiple tobacco pipes standing upright still in their display stands on the lower shelf of the bookcase, which Shayna had told 911 that Ryan had thrown her into before she shot him six times. On the second shelf, a pair of men's sunglasses sat face up near 10 ammunition shells of various sizes, still upright and standing in a perfect row as if on display. Highland Heights police officers escorted Shayna to the station, knowing that she had shot Ryan to death. But was her motive to defend her own life? Or had she found her way into Ryan's condo that evening, knowing that she was going to take his? Even after many accounts of Shayna's reactive and unpredictable behavior, no one who knew the couple could have imagined what would unfold in the hours after Shayna killed Ryan. From the moment Lieutenant Fornash brought Shayna into the interrogation room, her behavior was bizarre. And that is putting it nicely, guys. In the interrogation room, Shayna was read her Miranda rights, and she asked for an attorney. The lieutenant stopped asking questions from that moment on, but regardless of that, she couldn't help herself, and she just kept talking and talking and talking. The more she babbled, the more inconsistent her story became starting with exactly how Ryan's gun ended up in her hands earlier that evening. Despite saying she took it out of his hands in the 911 call, in the interview room, she said that she picked it up off of the table and shot him multiple times in self-defense after he harmed her physically. Now, Ryan did own several guns and was licensed to carry them, and it makes sense that a gun owner might place his handgun on the dining room table along with his keys and anything else that may have been in his pockets after coming home. But I literally couldn't believe what I was hearing when she talked about the final moment. He had put his arm across the table and there's a lamp and he had put his arm across the table and had it in my face and was screaming at me at the top of his lungs after he had thrown me around the room and was saying emotionally to me, you're a hillbilly. I hate you. I hate everything about you for what you are and my family. And he was screaming and he was, he had his head on the table and he wasn't completely standing up. He was like, this. He was sitting, he was announced that when I shot him, he went like this. Literally. That's when I knew he was dead. Or close to it mm -hmm. and twitching. And that's, and I couldn't, I let him, I still, even though the hurt, I still, enough of me, loved him. But I couldn't stand to watch him twitch. I knew he was going to die or have a completely deformed face. He's very vain. One of our last conversations we had that was good was that he wants my best friend who's a dentist to do his veneers and wants to get a nose job. Just that kind of person. And I shot him right here. I gave him his nose job. He wanted. Who makes a joke about giving someone their nose job after killing them? And the fact that she was sitting there calling him vain, it's literally like watching pure evil unravel. If this had actually been self-defense, wouldn't one shot, maybe two at the most, have stopped him? 
Shayna did not fire a warning shot to scare Ryan. She did not shoot him somewhere that would guarantee not to kill or disfigure him. Those would be responses that might make more sense if she was acting in self-defense with someone that she loves. Shayna also did not try to resuscitate Ryan after the first shot or call 911 for help immediately. Ryan was still alive after the first shot, and clearly he was unable to harm Shayna in any manner, but she continued to shoot him two, three, four, five, six more times at close range. Once she was sure that he was dead, she called her mom, asking for advice, and only then, 15 minutes after she killed Ryan, she called emergency services. That is not consistent with someone doing something out of self-defense. Shayna went on to summarize their tumultuous relationship, never ceasing to offload information despite having no lawyer present. But it honestly seemed like she was so much more concerned about herself and the potential consequences she was facing rather than Ryan and maybe how his family would feel as they were about to receive what I feel confident saying was likely the most devastating news they had ever gotten. If I don't get any serious consequences, then I could really be happy just having a career and maybe not even ever getting married because this is very traumatic, you know, it's very traumatic for me to live with it. I have to know that I did that to someone that I told every day, I love you. While in the interview, Shayna asked what life in prison is like. She complimented the police officer's teeth, and believe it or not, her strange commentary, jokes, and heartless accounts of events was followed by twirling and singing. At one point, she even said, Hell hath no fury like a scorned woman. He's burning in hell, and it feels good. I never had a fear. I wish I had done my whole life.
Now I need to speak on each of those videos because they were a lot. First, no Shayna. No one knows what you mean about a part of you not feeling bad, you psychopath. That officer had so much patience in dealing with her. Now second, the weird biblical singing gives me the chills. And then the yes I did it celebratory dance after, it literally is freaking deranged. And once again, it's like ping-ponging back over to Jodi Arias and her weird ass behavior in her interrogation room, doing headstands and singing. It's just, I don't know, pick a lane. Are you Jodi Arias? Are you Courtney Clenny? Are you batshit crazy Shayna? It is so weird. Maybe she was having a psychotic break. I don't know. When Lieutenant Fornash returned, he calmly explained it to Shayna that they were going to have to charge her with murder. Shayna responded by asking what degree. He looked at her point blank and replied, murder, there is no degree. So Shayna was taken into custody. She pled guilty, she was denied bond, and she would be staying in jail until the trial. Finally, after two and a half years and never once denying that she pulled the trigger, Shayna headed into trial in April of 2015. Shayna was 24 years old at that point and facing a single count of murder. According to court records, the defense planned to argue that Shayna shot Ryan in self-defense following an argument, while the prosecution would argue that their evidence would show that that was not the case and that there was not anything justifiable to shoot Ryan six times and kill him. Over the course of the two-week trial, the prosecution proved that Shayna murdered Ryan out of rage simply because he wanted to break up with her, and basically that she was obsessive and crazy and wouldn't let it go. The court also heard that despite her claims of Ryan's mistreatment to her, an officer who examined her at the police station did not find any injuries. There was a bit of discoloration on her wrist, but apart from that, there were no other markings on Shayna's body. The court heard from a prosecution witness, Chief Bill Birkenhauer, who testified that the crime scene contradicted Shayna's version of events. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever find that you are trying to fall asleep and your brain just suddenly won't stop talking and then you lay there staring at the ceiling for what feels like forever and your body is tired but your brain won't shut off? That happens to me constantly. Well, with therapy, you can talk through those thoughts and get out of your negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. What I love about therapy and why I use it is because I enjoy hearing an objective point of view and being able to look at things in my life in a different way rather than just being in my own head analyzing things all the time. I use therapy for big life decisions, but I also just use it as regular maintenance as a tool to make sure that my mental peace is always in a good place. What's great about BetterHelp is it's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com AE today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash A-E. Shayna had told police that Ryan threw her into the television, but Bill testified that the television was in place and it had dust all over it. The TV had not even been touched in quite some time. From the point of view of all who had entered Ryan's condo after the crime scene, there were no signs that a struggle of any sort had taken place. A litany of witnesses took to the stand and Shayna was forced to listen to all of their accounts one by one. 
Ryan's grief-stricken mother, Lisa, told the court that the night before she murdered him, she came to my home and ate at my table. And, and I quote, she was supposedly out of his life the night before. She made it clear to me she was leaving. Ryan's father, Jay, was angry as he explained to the court what he knew of their relationship, while Shana seemed to avert her eyes as he entered the witness box. Jay explained that on one night in August of 2012, Ryan arrived at his dad's house in the middle of the night with some of his belongings because Shana wouldn't leave Ryan's condo. Ryan told Jay that she would not leave his house, and so Jay said that Ryan was tired and frustrated and that you could tell he didn't know what to do. Shayna also could not bear to look at Audrey, who testified about how she waited for her first date with Ryan when he was already dead. Also, it became known that prior to going over to Ryan's house on the night of the murder, Shayna had downloaded a picture of Audrey on her computer, thus proving that she knew about Audrey. The neighbors who lived downstairs, Doris and Vernon West, testified that they heard a woman crying on Ryan's balcony outside on the evening of October 12th, and that just after what sounded like the woman had returned to the indoors of the condo, Doris and Vernon heard what sounded like two firecrackers. The next four cracks, the neighbors realized, were not fireworks, but more than likely gunfire. They also said that they did not hear anyone raising their voices or fighting at all. And possibly the most dramatic attack on the self-defense argument? An expert in bloodstains, Detective Greg Haggis, a Highland Heights detective, wore black rubber gloves as he handled Ryan's blood-marked clothing, explaining how it supported investigators' theory that Shayna shot Ryan while he was sitting down at his dining room table and not standing and not in motion to attack Shayna. There wasn't any blood on the shoulders of the white sleeveless undershirt that Ryan was wearing that night. If Ryan was standing when he was shot in the head, gravity explains that the shoulders of his shirt would bear stains from falling blood. The midriff of the shirt and waistband of Ryan's sweatpants don't have any blood either, but the lap area of his pants is covered in blood, which only supported the investigator's theory that he was shot in the head and bled onto the table and then into his lap before falling to the floor. Crime scene photos showed Ryan lying on his right side on the floor next to the chair, his legs still bent, one on top of the other, and a swipe of blood on the wall behind him. Another expert witness spoke about how the evidence left behind showed Shayna got closer and closer to Ryan with each shot. If she was trying to get away from him because he was hurting her, why would she move closer? Ryan had been shot in the head first. And again, if she was shooting in self-defense, not trying to kill him, why would she shoot him in the head first? The self-defense theory just was not making sense. And the most heartbreaking part of all of that was when one of the experts said that Ryan was still living and breathing up until almost that last shot. It's almost unfathomable to think about the pain that he may have possibly experienced in those last moments alongside the fear that he likely had. I truly hope that maybe shock took over and he was not in pain at that point. Of course, the text messages also provided a detailed roadmap to Shayna's obsession with Ryan, even though he was trying to end the relationship. Eight months prior, Shayna had texted him, I love you, Ryan Poston, and I think I'm the last girl that will ever love you if you head down this path. Do you think we will ever get back together? I just want to lay next to you again. I love you dearly, far more than you deserve. 
The defense really tried to paint Ryan as this woman-harming monster, and they went so far as to say him taking Adderall and Xanax could have caused him to have a violent outburst, which would have been such a rare thing to happen. To be quite honest, did they ever consider that maybe he was possibly taking the Xanax to chill the hell out due to her crazy behavior, and maybe the Adderall was to help him focus on his extremely busy career and not get hung up and focused on the distractions that she was causing? But regardless of Shayna's defense efforts to paint Ryan as this god-awful person, every witness on the prosecution side who was familiar with Ryan proved otherwise. Ryan's own text messages even proved otherwise. He was just desperately trying to get Shayna away from him, and she wouldn't leave him alone no matter what he did. Even though he texted her and said that she could say she was the one to break up with him. Even though he requested the help of a cousin one night when she physically would not leave his condo. Shayna still just did not stop, no matter what. Just thinking about her efforts fills me with anger and, to be quite honest, secondhand embarrassment for her. If someone was calling someone else because I refused to leave their condo, I would be mortified. I would just be beyond embarrassed with myself. But apparently not Shayna. And don't forget that text that she sent to a friend while at the shooting range about wanting to shoot Ryan and make it look like an accident. Homegirl, you really set yourself up with that one. I always say the evidence is in the digital evidence. Whether you're Googling it, whether you're texting it, you're leaving a digital paper trail. So... If that's really what you were thinking you were going to do, probably don't put it in your digital devices. After just under five hours of deliberation, the jury found Shayna guilty of murder on April 23, 2015. A few months later in August was her sentencing, and before she was sentenced, the judge spoke. What I think happened in that apartment was little more than cold-blooded murder. It's probably as cold-blooded an act as I've been associated with in the criminal justice system in the 30 plus years I've been in it. Shayna was sentenced to 40 years per the jury's recommendation and left without saying anything. The judge had never given more than a jury's recommended sentence. However, he mentioned that he was tempted to because of the details of the case and quite frankly, the lack of remorse from Shayna. However, Shayna, somehow, some way, and I'll never understand how, had character witness letters that basically saved the day for her. In kind of a full circle moment, Ryan's old girlfriend Lauren was there with his family throughout the trial and at the sentencing. She never testified. However, when Shayna was sentenced, Ryan's mom immediately grabbed Lauren and hugged her. Ryan's family spoke after they exited the court. Whatever she could say, whatever anybody could try to throw out to see if something would stick. And nothing did, because Ryan wasn't stick. that kind of person, okay? And I think everyone knows exactly the kind of person that he was, that Jay and Lisa and I brought up. I think it's very clear that she's not remorseful. She showed her true self in court, and um, I think that's the Shana Hubers that we knew, yes. and now it's the Shana Hubers that everybody else knows. But guys, we are not done, because Shana's case didn't end in 2015 upon sentencing. The next year, Shayna successfully filed for a retrial after she discovered that one of the original jurors, David Craig, was a convicted felon. Per Kentucky law, felons cannot serve on the jury, which I can get it if they are super violent or did something harmful for society, but David's felony case was due to him falling behind on child support payments back in 1992. 
He never even went to jail for it. And from what I have read, it doesn't seem like he really even understood that he was a felon. The only reason that David's felony was figured out was because Shayna had retained a new attorney for her appeal. That attorney recognized his name and realized that she had been his attorney for that case. So because of a child support felony that happened 24 years prior, it was giving a convicted murderer an entirely new trial. Absolutely mind-blowing. Shayna and her team then argued for a venue change. The basis of their motion was due to all of the media coverage on the first trial and them not feeling like it would be a fair and just trial. Within her venue change request, a 156 signature petition was included. This was supposedly all of the people who were in support of a venue change. But the prosecution noticed that most of the signatures looked way too similar, and eventually they were able to prove that the notary that the defense was using actually forged 118 of the signatures. One of the forged signatures was actually the signature of a Commonwealth attorney who worked in the same office as the prosecutors, which let me just ask, can you get any more stupid than doing that? So only 38 of those signatures were actually real, and most of the people whose signatures were forged had never even seen the documents that they were signing for. Her lawyers quickly played at the PR game and quickly withdrew the change of venue notice and claimed that they had no clue about any of that. Although, do you really believe them? Because I personally don't. The woman who forged the signatures, Brittany Young, actually ended up being slapped with 28 felony counts of forgery, and she was sentenced to 30 days in jail, 150 days of house arrest, and five years of probation. Shana's attorneys later tried again to get a change of venue. However, the motion was ultimately denied in February of 2018. Her attorneys had also filed a motion to suppress the statements that she made at the police station right after Ryan was killed because she had asked for an attorney. But that was also denied because Shayna was freely word vomiting after that without being asked a bunch of questions. So just when you think Shayna's antics couldn't get any crazier and things might finally be done in this case, in May of 2018, prior to the retrial, Shayna had requested a marriage license to marry another inmate. The inmate is transgender, originally born a male named Richard McBee, who referred to herself as Unique Taylor. She could not fully transition, though, due to being in jail, but considers herself a woman. Shayna had actually done an interview in which she had referred to Unique as Richard as well, but in order to be respectful of the other party's wishes, we are going to refer to Shayna's partner as Unique. Unique was being held on robbery charges and also had charges in Tennessee that she was being held on. Shayna described the circumstances of the relationship starting as a spiritual encounter, which, whatever that means. The two of them married in a jailhouse ceremony in June of 2018. So Shayna's second trial began on August 8, 2018 with jury selection, after spending almost most of her 20s behind bars. This time, her defense planned to change their strategy and lean into her mental health and intimacy issues between her and Ryan. The goal was basically to get the charges dropped down to manslaughter so she could be out of prison sooner. However, the prosecution came out strong in opening statements as they had done in the first trial. At this time, the court calls upon the Commonwealth to commence opening statement. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Ryan Poston was alive for each of the six shots that Shana Hubers pumped into his body. He was alive when she shot him here. 
here, 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 and here. And he was alone, except for the woman standing over him, gun in hand. His murder. Her. You're going to come to see that she is jealous, and she is calculated, and most of all, ladies and gentlemen, she is manipulative. Someone who would go to the ends of the earth to get her way, because in her world, what Shayna wants, Shayna gets, and what she wanted more than anything in 2012 was Ryan Poston. There were only two ways he was leaving his condo that night either as Shana's boyfriend or in a body bag. To no surprise, Shana's new attorney, David Eldridge, tried to paint Ryan in a bad light in his opening statement. Our approach was to focus more on the extreme emotional disturbance. Kentucky's murder statute says that if you kill someone, intent to kill them, that it's murder unless it's done under extreme emotional disturbance for which there's a reasonable cause. I knew it was already done, it was already done. For Shana Huber's a last chance to plead her case. If the jury believed her, she could be convicted of manslaughter instead of murder and be out of prison in a few years. We were running a, a, a manslaughter defense, yes. Good hydration isn't only for people training for championships and marathons. It's about daily maintenance. Whether you're taking a long flight, in back-to-back -back meetings, perhaps a little hungover from a night out, the helpful tool for all of those things is always hydration. And for me, that really sucks because I basically only drink Diet Coke, which don't at me, that's what I drink, that's what I love. Well, that was until I discovered Liquid IV. Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. With just one stick, you can hydrate two times faster than water alone, plus get essential vitamins and three times the electrolytes as leading sports drinks. Now for me, I love that it comes in such convenient packaging, so I literally always have them stuffed in my bag so I can just pour one into a water bottle wherever I am. Because one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It's kind of like having a cheat code for making sure that you're staying hydrated. It also contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. So bonus points on top of the cheat code. It comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting and not just taste like boring, old, tasteless water, which personally, I love the passion fruit because it's like the perfect amount of freshness and is just super refreshing. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code AE at checkout. That's 20% off anything when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code AE at liquidiv.com. You'll hear terms like borderline personality, post-traumatic stress disorder, psychological outcomes, and how those are expressed in our experience of behavior. And Shana Huber's defense lawyer painted a much different, darker picture of Ryan Poston than the jury had heard from the prosecution, feeling the stress of his job the night he was killed. He is in a very dark mood, is very upset. Not too long after she arrives, he lights into her verbally, critical of everything there is to be critical of her about. Her mother, her family, her education, where she's from, her appearance, vile, 
comments to her. Verbal assault. And you will hear about how he looked. How his eyes were frightening, scary, dark. Burst out the door and physically attacks her. Or slams her arm into the door, physically attacks her. We believe the evidence would show you that Miss Hughes is not guilty of this trial. That she was privileged to act in self-protection, or she was acting under extreme emotional distress. The prosecution began with the disturbing evidence of the crime scene, Ryan Poston's bloodied undershirt, and testimony from the first officer on the scene, David Fornash, who said he saw no evidence of a struggle inside the apartment. What would you have expected to see if there was a struggle over top of the table? I would have seen things knocked off the table and knocked over on the table. Was it? No, ma'am. Was anything knocked over? No, ma'am. One last question. At any point in time, when you were with Miss Hubers, did you see tears? No, ma'am. Nothing further. But for the prosecution, there was no stronger evidence than the video made of Shana Hubers in the police station that night. The prosecution used many witnesses to paint the same picture as they had in the first. They brought up Shana's friend Christy, and Christy is the friend of Shana's that Ryan had apparently wanted to do his veneers. Shana had texted her on October 10th, the night before the breakup, saying, Ryan's been begging me to ask you if you could do his veneers. Please F them up and make him ugly so he will never get another girl. Christy was also that friend who got the text from Shana at the shooting range. Audrey was brought on the stand to testify for the second time. Once again, it seems like Shana was avoiding eye contact. And Audrey never actually met Ryan in person, but she referred to him as funny and smart from the little interaction that they did have on the phone. Audrey is also obviously a very beautiful woman, and I can only imagine how much that infuriated and irritated Shayna. The prosecution also found a new witness that was able to speak on Shayna's premeditation. On the day of Ryan's death, Shayna had gone shopping at a local mall where she met a woman working in a store named Tara. Shayna told Tara that she found out that Ryan was seeing another girl and then told her multiple times that she was going to kill him. So you've already had the strike one with the jealous comment and the veneers and all that. Now you have strike two for this jealous girlfriend. It's unbelievable. She's just like word vomiting to all of these people what her plans are. The last people that the prosecution called on were Shayna's fellow inmates who said that her story of a harmful relationship and self-defense was made up and planned out from the very beginning. Also, that Shayna intentionally tried to mess up the condo after she killed Ryan to make it look like they had had a violent fight. The defense tried to pull together a very strong case. They tried to make Ryan seem like a controlling, harmful man. This summer, Chick came to my door and was crying, and so I let her in. And um, she had like a red mark on her arm right in here, maybe about the size of a handprint. And I said, what happened? And she said that she had gotten into an argument with Ryan, and he picked her up and threw her down in the hallway out of his condo. 
I told her that she needed to call the police. But like I said earlier, their main goal was to rely on mental health issues and intimacy issues. So they called in defense psychologist Dr. Thomas Shackett, who told the court that he diagnosed Shayna with a well-defined condition known as borderline personality disorder, or BPD and also PTSD from sexual things that had happened to her while she was a minor. The diagnosis came after 37 hours of interviews and looking over her childhood medical records. They argued that the BPD is more intense in the early 20s, and to try and prove their points, they brought Shayna on the stand to talk about her sexual issues. There were continued issues throughout the relationship about the issue of orgasm. And how did you respond to that? I, I tried to please Ryan to the best of my ability. How so? Um, he wanted to try different things, and he ordered different things off the internet to achieve, to help me achieve orgasm. Was there any other thing that Mr. Poston encouraged you to do in relation to your ability to orgasm? Yes, sir. And what was that? He wanted me to obtain a G-shot injection inside of my vagina, and I'm sure nobody knows what that is. I didn't know what it was. Um, it's a collagen injection inside of your G-shot inside of your body. He screamed at me, you're a up person, and you're a person because you're, you were touched when you were a little girl, and that's why that's why you can't orgasm, and that's why I can't love you, and that's why no one will ever be able to love you. I find it interesting that she never brought that up in her interrogation, nor did her attorneys bring it up during the first trial. But hey, I guess there's a first time for everything. I don't know. And then, as if no one had heard enough of her BS, they decided that she should tell her newest version of what happened on the night of the shooting. I remember trying to stand up where I was sitting on the floor, and Ryan pushed me back down by my chest. He, he put his hand on my chest and pushed me back down onto the floor. And I was, I was crying and I was hysterically crying. And I recall Ryan standing over me and grabbing the gun that was sitting on the table and pointing it at me and saying, I could just kill you right now and get away with it. Nobody would even know. How did you react to that? I was, I was shocked. I was afraid. I didn't understand what I had done to deserve any of this. Okay. Tell Malaysia and Jill and the jury what happened. He set the gun back down on the table and he walked around the table and he was still, he was still talking and he was still saying hurtful things. I don't remember exactly what. And he was standing up from the chair and he was reaching across the table and I don't know if he was reaching for the gun or reaching for me, but I was still sitting on the floor at this point in time. And I got up off the floor and I grabbed the gun and I shot him.
The prosecution hit Shayna back hard in the cross-examination. They even showed her texts that she had sent Ryan herself, which basically made her look like a liar to the jury. If you would read those messages. What was the reason that you gave Mr. Poston for asking him to initiate sex with you? I said I didn't want to force myself on him. Anymore? Was that also on there? Yes. Yeah, anymore. You didn't want to have to force yourself on him. judge to Thank you, ma'am. Then the prosecution finally got to cross-examine her about the interrogation. Now keep in mind, this interrogation happened nearly seven years prior, so I'm sure that they had spent nearly seven years just waiting on the opportunity to call her out, especially when she tried to use mental health as an excuse. I'm not saying that my statements weren't coherent. I'm saying my, my mindset wasn't completely coherent. But there were some things throughout the course of your statement that were consistent. Okay. And seeing him twitch and it being painful for you was one of those things that was consistent and said by you over and over again. I said that. And because you didn't want to watch him die, you shot him more times. In your words, to the point where you knew he was dead. I said those things. Is that similar? To what people do when they see an injured animal? Check, check, check. Sustained. Withdrawn, Your Honor. Please and disregard that uh, question. It's nothing further, Your Honor. After closing statements, it was time for the jury to deliberate. Just like the previous jury panel, these jurors had a verdict within five hours. Shayna was guilty. Ryan's family spoke at the sentencing. Are you related to Ryan? Ryan's my brother. Explain to the jury what you have with you. Because I'm 30 years old, I don't need to bring a teddy bear up with me. Um, this teddy bear was made by Jay's sister. This is Ryan's shirt. another 30 or 40 years on this earth, God willing. I'll have another 35 or 40 Christmases without my son. I had my grandchildren stolen from me. I will never hold my grandchildren. She has decimated my life and many other lives. Ryan had a heart of gold. His, his goodness literally got him killed. His kindness got him killed. His sister playing a teddy bear with his voicemail is particularly heartbreaking in this because I can't imagine that being the only thing I have left if something happened to one of my family members. Ryan's father also said, Your daughter is sitting right there, breathing, laughing, and speaking. She may one day sit at your table for your Thanksgiving meal. 
Meanwhile, I wait in the middle of the night, every night, anguishing that I may forget the sound of my son's voice, the warmth of his embrace. Then Sharon spoke, trying to act as if she knew what Ryan's family was going through and saying that her daughter had lost her life. Shana, as I said, is my only child. My child's life has also been taken. Her family also grieves. I'm not lessening or taken away from or trying to say that I don't understand the grief of this family because I do. Both beautiful young people, both talented. Thank you. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh here on Sharon, but here's the deal. Shayna never lost her life. Shayna threw her own life away by choosing to shoot Ryan, which has now been proven twice to be premeditated and on her own accord. She was clearly bitter about him breaking up with her, having another date, and moving on with his life. Not only that, but Sharon can still see her child. So no, she doesn't, nor do any of us who haven't lost children, understand that grief of a permanent loss of a child. Ryan's parents will never get to see their child or hug their child again. They'll never get to watch their child get married, have grandchildren, or reach professional goals. All because of Shayna, who Sharon is still allowed to visit regardless. Thankfully, the jury didn't seem too moved by Sharon's speech, and they came back with the verdict of life in prison. Thank goodness, because Shayna never deserves to be free. But on the other hand, I kind of feel like it's what Shayna deserves for filing for a retrial and living with her delusional thoughts of her always being able to get her way. But Shayna's sentence, no matter how harsh, will never bring Ryan back. To date, Shayna is serving out her sentence at the Kentucky Correctional Institution for Women. Unfortunately, though, she is eligible for parole in 2032. Although I would be shocked if that actually happened, given that she has never even shown an ounce of remorse. She also ended up divorcing Unique in 2019, less than a year after they got married, which I'm sure isn't a shock to anybody here listening. What began with a bikini picture taken during spring break and a flirtatious Facebook back and forth resulted in a grisly ending for a 29-year-old handsome young lawyer. Shayna and Ryan's relationship story is one of obsession, vengeance, and tragedy. Sharon, a now-retired schoolteacher, maintains that her daughter is not a murderer. She says Shayna is a brilliant and talented girl and would never kill someone if she wasn't in fear of her life. But to Ryan's family, what happened is obviously quite different. To journalist Jay, he describes riding his bike around northern Kentucky the afternoon of Saturday, October 13th, 2012, when he got that dreaded call that came. When he checked his voicemail, he heard the words that no parent ever wants to hear. We have a body here, which we think may be a member of your family. He didn't return the coroner's call. Instead, he dropped to his knees. He knew that his only child, his son Ryan, was gone forever, in an instant, and there was no going back. I'm curious to know what you guys think about this case. Do you think that there is a possibility that this was done in self-defense or based on the Google searches, the text messages to friend, the unsteady and concerning behavior? Do you think that this was Shayna's plan all along? The mentality of, I am a woman scorned and if I can't have you, no one can. 
I personally am more inclined to believe that that is what really happened here. Although I know there are some people who do still believe that this was an act of self-defense. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Serialistly today. I'm curious to know what you guys think about this case. So over on Spotify, let me know in the Q&A section. Also, maybe we'll throw a poll up. Let me know in the review section too, guys, what kind of cases you are interested in, what you want to cover, if there's any specific case request, or if there's just kind of a true crime genre you want me to cover, such as cults or con men, con women, whatever it is, let me know in that review section so I can continue to cater the content to what it is you guys want to hear. So again, if you would just take 30 seconds to do the rating and review, I would greatly appreciate it. But other than that, I will be seeing you Thursday for headline highlights. And as a quick little notification, we have officially launched the extra little Patreon subscription for bonus episodes every Friday. You can do it through Patreon or Apple Podcast, and that will give you access to bonus episodes every single Friday if you're looking to get a little bit extra of a true crime fix. All right, guys, I am signing off, but I will be talking with you again very, very soon. All right, take care. Bye.